Welcome to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast, a Canadian real estate podcast that shows you how to pay off your mortgage sooner and live well while doing it. Now, here's your host, Sean Cooper. Welcome to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. I'm Sean Cooper, and it's great to be back for another episode. On today's show, I'll be talking to Sarah Larby. Sarah's episode is the latest in a series of podcast shows on women in real estate. In the coming weeks, I'll be interviewing successful female real estate investors to help encourage and inspire more women to get into real estate. Sarah Larby is a real estate investor, speaker, coach, mentor, and podcast host. She specializes in helping take the mystery out of home ownership for Canadians who thought real estate investing was going to be out of reach. She's earned their trust and respect by having the drive and focus to embark, build, and grow a seven-figure, 10-property investment portfolio by her early 30s. Sarah's goal is to inspire and train other fellow Canadians to realize their own property-owning dreams by sharing her seven-step investing process through her online trading programs. This has helped her students go from first property whilst fully employed to planning retirement in around 10 to 15 years. In my interview with Sarah, we discuss screening tenants to make sure you get the very best tenants What is the Burr method and why is this Sarah's favorite real estate investing strategy and how do you get financing on 10 properties? Without further ado, here's my interview with Sarah Larby. Hi, Sarah. How are you doing today? I'm great, Sean. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks. Looking forward to another interesting discussion on real estate and hearing about your story as well. Yeah, I'm uh, really excited to be on the show and you know, thank you to you as well, because recently you came on our show, our new podcast, and you did a great job explaining lots of things about mortgages and how to pay it off faster. So I'm definitely happy to return the favor. Awesome. Well, let's get started then. So can you tell us a little bit about why you chose to invest in real estate? There's so many options out there. What really resonated with you in terms of putting your money into real estate? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll give you a little bit of background about me. So I'm actually currently about to close on property number 10. And I was working, you know, just probably like like everyone else, I was working eight to seven, (laughs) nine to five doesn't really exist, not even that long ago. And we just kind of were putting our pennies together and saving what we could. I remember actually going to the bank, it was like back in like 2010, 2011. And the bank person there, the financial advisor was, you know, sitting down with us asking us, you know, what are your liabilities and what are your assets? And you guys have been working for a little while. So, you know, what do you have that's saved? What do you have that you can invest? And like, I literally had nothing to our names. We didn't even know what a liability was. We didn't know what an asset was. And it was actually like a a pretty you know, good wake up call for me because I said, you know, this is quite embarrassing. I've been waiting and working for a few years and really ultimately living paycheck to paycheck. And 
didn't really even know where to get started because in school, they don't really teach you anything about finances. My family, you know, they, they had their own business and stuff like that. But in terms of finances or any of that, they, they weren't really able to help. So I decided to go and search and research on Google how to get rich. <laughs> Literally, I would that would be the topic, how to wow. become a millionaire. I'm sure you read many articles about different things, but perhaps real estate stories inspired you? Yes. So real estate kept coming back over and over and over. And there were, you know, obviously like stocks and bonds and, and paper assets was an option, which originally is actually kind of what I started doing and it didn't work so well for me. I, I just didn't understand it as, as well as I, I might have or I should have. And real estate just seemed like an easier option, in my opinion, for me. I said, well, you know, maybe we need to buy some real estate and rent it out and, and get started that way because apparently that's how you become a millionaire. And so the next hurdle was my boyfriend, Matt, and he did not want to be a landlord because he did not want to have a tenant does not, that doesn't pay or that is always late on rent or that trashes the house. And so we started actually with his sister and that's how we got into real estate is renting out to his sister and finding a place for her to live. Oh, cool. Yeah. So like, I guess fast forward to today. So we started our first investment was in 2013. And now literally as of yesterday, I got a property under contract. I'd obviously have a few days to do my due diligence, but that will be property number 10. Wow, that's amazing. So you were mentioning property, I guess. What number was the property that you were renting to your boyfriend's sister was that property number one that is how we got started that's property number one yeah so that's that's really like we found like the cheapest house we could afford <laughs> back then I remember like I had two jobs at one point so we really were trying to save for the down payment and I ended up like working in retail on the weekends and then working you know in sales uh, during the week and just like really hustling to be able to get the down payment and you know he was doing the same thing like extra hours and it wasn't even that expensive it's just we really like had nothing when we were starting so that little tiny house really is is how we became millionaires today is just that you know it's one house at a time <laughs> wow and you were at property number 1 at that point in time so perhaps you could kind of fill in the blank and let the listeners know how you went from the first property all the way to property number 10. I mean, it seems quite amazing to go from that first property there to 10 properties. So did you just keep getting one property at a time or how did you accumulate that many properties? Yeah, great question, Sean. It's it's one property at a time, but when I what I did not realize back then is you can actually strategize so that you don't need to save the down payment for every single house that you purchase. So like your first one, your second one, you're probably going to save for the down payment. But if you found a good house in a good area and you really became a market expert in a specific area, so right away you know when a good deal is out there, or you're finding something and you're adding value by doing some renovations, there's such a thing as refinancing and you can actually pull out a lot of that down payment. Or you can use some of the equity that was built into your first couple properties and use that money to buy property number three, four, five, six, etc. Now I would say is it's a great way to do it. It's a great way to acquire more properties, but make sure that when you're using that money and you're using the equity from house number one to buy house number three as an example, 
that you're calculating the cash flow so that you're covering the payments that you're going to be using as a, for example, if you're using a HELOC and you're using $50,000 from house number one, you're going to want to calculate how much that cost is and calculate into your cash flow for your new house that you're buying. Let's just say it's property number three. So it is a, a you know, a, a good way to do it. And a lot of people look at it and say, well, how do you get more than one property? I mean, you know, how do you save for 10 properties, you don't have to save for 10 properties. There's definitely lots of ways to do it. And a lot of people do it also by partnering with others and joint venturing. I have not. I've, I've just been able to, to do it personally with my boyfriend who is a police officer. And so we're kind of both working full time and plugging away. But there's definitely more than one way that you can, you can do this and, and scale up. That's a great point. And certainly having that second income there would help qualifying for any type of mortgages. You could certainly do it on your own, but it's a bit easier if you have a partner there just to use at least their income for the qualification purposes of the mortgage, especially with the stress test that we have today. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, if I were to do it again, one of the biggest things I would say is if you're doing this with a partner or a spouse, you do not both need to always be on the mortgage. And that is one mistake that we made from the beginning. And so when we first started and we were looking for like our first rental property, we went to the same bank that got our house for us, you know, just a little short while prior. And we didn't know any better. And so we went to this bank and they said, okay, well, you know, it's your first rental property. So we'll let you just put 20% down. And then when next, the following year, we went back because we wanted to do it again. And then they asked us for 25% down. And this was, this was like our, our second rental. And then when we wanted to do our third rental, they're like, well, it's your third rental. We don't really, you know, give money on third rentals or, or loan anything. So we want like 35% down. But, you know, in hindsight, if I would have used a mortgage broker from the beginning, I wouldn't have been in the situation that I was in because when I found her, she had to entangle the mess that we originally created and position us properly because it's one thing to, you're just going to buy like one or two houses. Really, you can go anywhere. But if you're actually going to scale it and you're going to make it a business, it's actually really, really important that you know which lenders to go to first so that you do not hit that financing wall because at some point you're going to be limited. So to go back, one of the mistakes that, that we made is that we were both on the mortgages for like our first few houses. And if we wouldn't have done it, if each of us would have qualified separately, like one house is, you know, I qualify for, I'm on the mortgage, the other house, he's on the mortgage. We actually probably would have been able to scale even more so with the best terms and the best rates. And that's a great, great point you were bring up about working with a mortgage broker, because certainly if you go to the bank, they're just going to say, you have to make a heftier down payment. They're not going to say, well, you might go down the street to another lender or call a mortgage broker. I mean, they're just not going to say that. So further to your point, you really have to look out for yourself. And at least with a mortgage broker, they can find better options for you and they have access to dozens of lenders. So Perhaps if you're being asked to put more down in terms of one lender, then there are plenty of other options out there. So certainly just another reason to work with a mortgage broker. Yeah, absolutely. And then the other piece too is that like, just like you and me and like our credit is so important. We want to protect that. So the problem is if you go to bank number one and they look at your credit because they're going to pull your credit and then you go to bank number two and they're going to do the same thing. Well, if you don't like what bank number one has and you have to go to bank number two, your credit gets dinged and then it gets looked at. And every single time that you shop it around, it, it hurts your credit a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more versus a mortgage broker. They're going to pull it once and use that same paperwork to shop it around so that you're not getting dinged every single time a different bank is looking at your credit. 
That's a very good point that you brought up. Now, earlier you mentioned the concern of your boyfriend and perhaps yourself was getting a nightmare tenant that destroys the property, doesn't pay the rent on time, and is just not that pleasant to deal with. So I'm just curious, can you tell me a bit about your screening process in terms of tenants and how do you make sure that you get the very best tenant and not end up with a tenant from hell, let's call it? (laughs) Absolutely. So over time, we've developed better systems. I would say in the, in the beginning, what we were doing, so obviously it was his sister, we, we kind of knew her. What we did in the beginning, because we didn't really have any like concrete processes and it was still doable back then, is what we, we actually found tenants first and then we shopped a property with them. And that we, we were able to do that and actually worked out really well. Now, you can't really do that anymore because it's definitely a little bit harder to find the deals than it was back in 2014, 2015. But it definitely helped us. Now, what we do is that we actually have a five-step screening process. And so there's literally five different steps that the tenants go through and, and lots of steps that they get screened out that they don't even know they're getting screened out for me to be able to find the best tenant. So like, here's an example, like step number one, I do all the property management. I do all of the tenant screening and everything else. I like to self-manage. I like that piece. I actually enjoy it. But step number one is on my Kijiji ad at the very, very end, after I do the description and everything that I'm looking for, I ask for three questions. So it could be, tell me a little bit about yourself and your family. Number two, you know, types of pets. Are you smokers or non-smokers? And then number three, please provide a phone number to contact you. And just a little thing like that, if they don't answer those three questions and they just say, hey, I'm interested in your property, when can I see it? They actually get screened out. So for example, where I'm investing, I could put an ad up and get about 50 replies in two weeks time, let's say. Out of those, I may only decide to contact 10 because the rest of them, A, probably didn't put two two sentences together. Maybe they didn't read. If they can't take those directions, they get screened out right away. And then step two is phone screening. So there's actually a bunch of questions that I have. I specifically go through it with them. It's, there's a specific order to it. And if I don't like them, I will basically let them know that I uh, will call them back when they can see the property, et cetera, et cetera. One of the things I would say is when you're screening and you're screening out tenants, it's important that you don't get yourself into any legal trouble. So don't ever give tenants specific reasons why you're not renting to them. I like to play the little bit of a disorganized card or, you know, let me get back to you. I'm just tied up for the next few weeks, but I'll show you the house as soon as possible. And you know, you're not going to get in trouble for not calling them back. The ones that I do like go on to step three. And what I'll do is I'll schedule an hour and I'll have tenants come through within 10 minutes apart and they're going through the property. There's the application and probably talking to them, feeling them out a little bit in terms of like, do they smell like cigarettes or, you know, just all those little things. Anyway, so they would, they would get an application. Everyone that asks for an application needs to get legally an application. And then step four starts. So Think about this. A lot of people will call, a lot of tenants will call somebody and say, I want to go see the house. And then the landlord says, okay, well, yeah, but there's like a bunch of steps that you missed. So I think the biggest thing is just 
Don't take the first tenant that comes through that wants to give you money up front, screen them through. And then when they do the application, like there's definitely a lot more steps. Um, there's a lot of questionnaires. I have a question page where they answer their questions. After that, I actually ended up doing a interview uh, prior to signing the lease agreements or the rental agreements. And then the final step is, is at the lease signing. So it could probably take me a whole hour to walk you through everything. I think if your listeners are interested, they're more than welcome to contact me and I can give them more information about all those steps. Well, that sounds like a great process and certainly useful for a lot of people because they don't really know where to start in terms of how to actually get a tenant in their property and the screening process. But as I like to say, it's a lot easier to screen out a bad tenant than it is to evict them once they live in your property because tenants certainly have rights. So certainly I think that's time well spent to do your due diligence in advance so that you don't end up with a tenant that seem nice in person, but perhaps will do damage to your property or won't pay the rent on time or whatnot. So I definitely think it's worth taking those steps up front because it definitely protects you later on from unpleasant situations like that. Yeah, exactly. Great. So you mentioned to me that you employ something called a Burr method. So can you tell us what the Burr method is and why is this your favorite real estate investing strategy? Yeah. So you've probably heard of flipping before, right? Like, I mean, it's like HGTV and a lot of people like, it's like, you know, the shiny penny syndrome. A lot of people think it's really cool and want to do it, but there's a lot of risks and downsides to that as well. People can do well in so many different strategies. And you probably also heard of buy and hold. So essentially the Burr method, it's, so Burr stands for buy. The first R stands for renovate or rehab, whichever one you want to use. The third R stands for rent. The fourth R stands for refinance. And actually there is a fifth called repeat. So what happens is you're going to buy a property usually that needs some work. You're going to, you're going to renovate it just enough to be able to pull out as much as you can without over renovating. You're going to rent it out at the highest amount possible for rent. And then you're going to get an appraiser to come in. You're going to, they're going to appraise the property based on the new renovations that you've done. And you're often going to be able to pull part or all of the money that you put into the deal. So that's how I've been able to scale up is I I buy something that needs a little bit of work, fix it up, refinance it, and then redeploy that money into another property. Just a quick question. In terms of renovating the property, do you do that yourself or do you hire other people to help you with that? Yeah, so I basically coordinate it, but... Anyone that knows me knows that I can barely cook. I definitely can. <laughs> I can. I definitely cannot actually do the rentals myself. But I, I will coordinate them and have a good team in place. You can easily do this. I mean, I am still working full time and have a, a job that requires me to, to still travel quite a bit. And the team that I have in place or the teams that I put in place allow me to be able to do that. That's good to know. So certainly in terms of investing in real estate, it helps to have a team that you can trust, real estate agent, mortgage broker, and even people to take care of your property, whether it's a plumber or electrician, because when a situation arises, it's better to have someone then that you can call and depend on rather than having to just randomly call people and have your fingers crossed that they're going to be competent and do a good job and not overcharge you and all that. Yeah, absolutely. Your team is really important. I mean, this is how, this is why I can still work full time is because of the team that I have in place, right? Like you said, your handyman, 
your plumber, your electrician. So like, you know, things do happen. And if I have a leak, well, I mean, it's an email or a text to the plumber or a simple phone call. They go ahead and they email me the invoice afterwards and I send them an e-transfer. So a lot of the stuff doesn't actually need to be done, you know, with me going to these properties. And so I'll do the, the you know, biannual inspections. I'll go through those twice a year. But other than that, I'm not running back and forth to these properties. And so, you know, a lot of people ask me, like, how close should I be to the property? I would say it, it doesn't really matter. Like, if you want to be able to do your biweekly inspections and you want to still self-manage, like, you know, even if you're three or four hours, it's not the end of the world because you're not going to be going there every single weekend. And worst case scenario too, you could always plug into your cash flow numbers, the cost of a property manager and, and hire that out fully if you don't want to be managing tenants whatsoever. That's a great point. Now, I'm sure this is the answer that our listeners are dying to hear. So can you tell us how the heck do you get financing on nine properties? Because Perhaps for people just getting financing on one or two is a bit intimidating. So can you tell us how you were able to get financing on nine properties? I guess 10 properties now. <laughs> yes, as of, uh, as of this week. It's basically working with a mortgage broker that works with investors. That, that would be the biggest thing because every lender has different criteria. There's banks, there's trust companies, credit unions, there's private lenders. Like there's so many different things other than just banks, but the banks may have the best terms to start. So, it, but it's important to know which banks have which terms. And so you need to do it in actually a specific order. And that's why we're still able to qualify. And we're going to keep qualifying is because originally we had to untangle the mess, but, but then once we, we worked with a mortgage broker and we were on the right path, this is why we're still qualifying is because we used the slots in the right order so that we didn't hit that financing wall. I mean, of course, it's important to keep your credit, you know, sparkling clean as much as possible, not have too much of a debt to income ratio and pay your bills on time and all that stuff and have a, you know, obviously being employed, the T4 income helps, but definitely using a mortgage broker and scaling with the right lenders at the right time is the key. Great advice, Sarah. And I'd just like to say, it's been wonderful having you on the show today. Before I let you go, is there anything of interest that you're working on that you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, I mean, I've, I, I love helping others. I love helping others get into this awesome opportunity. There's, there's so many ways that you can make money. And real estate to me just seems like a no-brainer. If you hold it for the long term, you are going to be, you're going to be set. And if you do it for cash flow, of course. So one of the things I would say is I've got a podcast. I actually have two podcasts. One is called Where Should I Invest? The other one is called The Right Club. I am also a co-founder of The Right Club, which is a monthly club where we meet in Burlington at the Holiday Inn. So if anyone's interested in coming out and has not been out to The Right Club yet, they can send me an email and I will get them in for free for their first entry for any of your listeners, Sean. So they can email me at sarah at sarahlarby.com. And then I also have some courses. So if anyone's interested in learning more about tenant screening, they can go on Udemy. They can actually just type in Sarah Larby. There's some really awesome video courses that they can take there, how to calculate the cash flow. And I also have one that has a little bit more support which is called Rise. So if you're still working full-time and you want to learn all the ins and outs about real estate investing and being a landlord, 
that one is ongoing. So it's essentially a lot of video modules. And then once a month, we have a call where the students can ask any questions that they want, and they have access to me. And, you know, we've started doing it, and it's going really well so far. So yeah, working on a lot of different things <laughs> at, the, at the moment. Well, you definitely sound like you know your stuff. So I'll be sure to include all these links in the show notes. So Sarah, once again, thank you very much for being on the show. It was great talking with you today. Thanks very much, Sean. And uh, looking forward to uh, potentially seeing you at the right club and, and catching up. So thank you for all that you do and helping your listeners also learn about finances and how to burn your mortgage. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Burn Your Mortgage podcast. Besides being a podcast host, I'm also an independent mortgage broker. If you or anyone you know, family, friends, coworkers, or neighbors could ever use any unbiased mortgage advice or a second opinion, feel free to reach out. Email me at Sean, that's S-E-A-N, at burnyourmortgage.ca or call or text me at 647-867-3711 for a free mortgage consultation. Also, be sure to head on over to www.burnyourmortgage.ca and sign up for my free weekly newsletter. As a small token of my appreciation, you'll be able to download my ultimate mortgage checklist on choosing the perfect mortgage. I look forward to hearing from you and helping you with all your mortgage needs. Once again, thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and leave a rating. Until next time, happy mortgage burning.